This is Chicago's College Tailgate. Tailgate. Shay Norman and Tyler Ackie. Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Good morning and welcome on in to Chicago's College Tailgate on ESPN 1000. Tyler Aki, Shea Norling, talk college football with you every single Saturday here from 9 to 11 a.m. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Shay is out in the great state of Michigan today. I am in the State Street Studios presented by Old National Bank here in Chicago. And Shay, where on the mitten are you today? I, I'm in Detroit, basically. You're in Detroit, I'm in, so I'm in Metro Detroit. So what is that? That is a a lower pinky. Uh, no, not a. It, it, no, it's at the bottom of the thumb, really. Bottom of the thumb. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm not very good with Michigan geography, so I need you to help me out with the. You had mi- the you had the mitten backwards. I had the mitten. Okay, so I had a left-handed glove instead of a right-handed glove, pretty much. That's what I was looking at there. Okay, this is something I actually feel strongly about. There's no such thing as a left-handed glove. Turn the glove inside out. Well, like no. if you've got, the, unless it's like those fancy ass gloves that have the, like designed the, outside the touch screen. Like if the, you've just got some cheap ass glove, there's no such thing as a lefty glove. You turn it inside out. You mean you you just flip it around? You don't turn it inside out. Then then you're really screwed. I I, I feel like that's standard design now, though. Is you know the, what I mean? I, I I I get what you're trying to say. I'm just giving you a hard time here. But no, like I feel like that's standard design now. Is that most, especially now in the the iPhone era where everyone's got a, a touchscreen phone, everyone has the, the touchscreen gloves. You can't just turn those around. What are you talking about touchscreen gloves? You just get gloves. My, I actually, I had a pair of gloves that didn't work with the touchscreen, and I had to throw yeah, them away. Yeah, you didn't have touchscreen gloves. Had, had to throw them away. It, but it's I, industry standards now. Just make all gloves work with the touchscreen. It makes no sense. It's going to get to that point soon. We're we're almost there, but we're not. You there know what quite I mean? Yet. Like those those little the cheap gloves that are just sewn together and they look like basically a sock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those ones are the best gloves. The, the, you can't. I, yes, you don't I've need a, a left and a right those. hand. Mm-hmm. You just you get the gloves. All right. I, I I agree to disagree with you there. Speaking of Michigan, though, speaking of mittens. I'm boots on the ground, you, Tyler. Yeah, I, I'm we, personally conducting we, the investigation. We might need you to do a little snooping around in Ann Arbor today because this is where we begin our show, where the Michigan Wolverines currently find themselves in the middle of an NCAA investigation. So many tentacles off of this, whether you want to go the Harbaugh route, whether you want to go J.J. McCarthy and the Heisman, what's coming down the pipeline for Michigan in the playoff and maybe even the Big Ten championship here. But to, to just kind of get everyone up to speed here, right, there's a bunch of different investigations going on with Michigan right now. One into recruiting violations that's stemmed the longest here that is the reason why Jim Harbaugh got a self-imposed three-game suspension at the beginning of the year. Then you get the FBI looking into Michigan over the computer of uh, former offensive coordinator Matt Weiss, and now we have the sign-stealing scandal with Connor Stallions as the poster child of it all. And these are all three separate issues. But quite frankly, I'm past issues one and two, right? Issue one, I feel like for what we're going to see this year, has been taken care of. We're not going to see any more punishments handed out this year for what was going on with the illegal COVID recruiting from Jim Harbaugh. With the offensive coordinator, that's an off-the-field issue that I quite frankly don't think is going to have any sort of bearing on what happens with the Michigan program. But the sign-stealing scandal, that's where things get juicy for 2023. Yeah, I mean, 
you did a pretty good job of laying it out. The recruiting violations, you're right. The punishment's not going to come this season. I don't know that the sign-stealing punishments are going to come this season, but, Tyler, we're at a point where I think we probably have to have a discussion about what should be the outcome of this. This is now, I mean, there's stories seemingly every day, something new. Uh, I saw yesterday on ESPN a former Division Three coach spoke on conditions of anonymity. Is that a saying, Sparty booster? You know, it could have been. Honestly, it could have been. But he <laughs> spoke on conditions of anonymity that uh, he was paid a couple hundred dollars a few times to go to Big Ten games and film sidelines. He was talking, like everybody says, oh, well, you know, you can watch the film. The Big Ten requires teams to send all 22 tape and certain angles of film that they have access to two other teams for film study, basically. And this guy was saying, well, on the sideline when you're videotaping, the sideline from the stands, you get angles that nobody else has access to, and you can't get them on the All-22. It's not as easy to pull them from the film that's available, the scout film. So having people in the stands, like, Tyler, do you believe it's a competitive advantage? Because I'm overhearing that it wasn't a competitive advantage. I, I totally, like, if it wasn't a competitive advantage, why did you do it? Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's my whole thing. Why did you do it if it wasn't a competitive advantage for your team? And I'm not saying Michigan's the only team out there doing this. I'm sure there's plenty of other teams out there doing this. But at some point, you have to make an example out of somebody. Because if you don't, then you're going to let it continue to fester. And you have to make sure someone gets punished for this. Because everyone was up in arms when the Astros weren't punished for what they did in in baseball a couple years ago. And I, I can't see Michigan getting away with this the same way that the Astros did. Um. I have to agree. Like I think the the Astros thing, but because even though it's a different sport, it's professional, it's MLB, it's not college football. I think the reaction to it actually plays into the way that they do this. I also, I, I kind of am starting to wonder if everybody's doing this. Did you read the piece in the Athletic from the yeah. quote unquote uh, sign stealing expert? Yeah, there are a few different of those type pieces littered throughout this week, and I think they all kind of came to the same conclusion here. And the guy who was the sign-stealing expert is, there were a couple really interesting quotes in it, and he's talking about basically everybody's stealing signs, everybody's trying to gain an advantage from doing it, but the quote that stood out to me was when he goes, if we find out that they were for sure taping sidelines, sending them to a computer drive, looking over them, going to all these games, that's when we know they're effed. Because it sounds like it's something nobody does. Like the Here's the quote. Uh, what would be damning video evidence of someone filming a team's sideline on their phone while sitting in a paid seat paid by uh, Stallions? That would get people in the industry to go, oh, they're effed, he said. So I don't know that everybody's doing this, Tyler. I don't know that this is like a super popular way to try to gain an advantage. I, I don't know if people are filming. I wouldn't be surprised if we had people logging signs uh, in terms of advanced scouting. Like, I, I guess I'm talking more from an advanced scouting standpoint. I, I think there's probably a decent amount of that happening across college football. But Michigan, you're the ones that just got caught with this. And it's... Listen, it sucks to be a Michigan fan in all of this. Quite frankly, I, I feel most bad for the players 
in all of it because there's really not much they can do. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to be the guy in the room that stands up to Harbaugh and says, no, we have to respect the integrity of the game? Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> this, this isn't the NCAA sportsmanship commercial where the guy says, coach, it went off of me. Ball's going the other way. That, this is the not worst that, commercial all right? of all time, too. <laughs> can you imagine? Like, J.J. McCarthy stands up in the locker room. This isn't right what we've done, fellas. we got to forfeit the rest of the season. you got a Could tight end imagine? standing up to the man in the room. Like, uh, that's never happening. And that's why I feel bad for the kids. If some sort of punishment does come down, that does impact them, whether it's this year or next year. Like, that sucks. There's nothing you can really do about it. How involved do you think the coaches were? Because, like, the Washington Post story that dropped earlier this week, and it was after we had a chance to talk about it on the recap pod. Like, Tyler, every time we try to have a conversation about what's going on at Michigan, something new breaks, like, mm-hmm. an hour later. That makes it worse. The Washington Post article uh, talking about the they scouted Tennessee, they scouted Clemson, they had a budget $15,000 for tickets, they had... All these other things. And then the rumor was South Carolina, too, that they're funneling signs to South Carolina before their game against Tennessee to try to knock them out of the playoff. That I was just going to get into because that was from, what, Football Scoop. It dropped the same night as the Washington Post report. And Football Scoop, I'm not telling you, is the Washington Post, but it's a coaching search site. They've, They've gotten things right in the past. They wrote this piece where they go... Uh, on a condition of anonymity, a source spoke to us and said Michigan was sending Tennessee's basically game plan to South Carolina. If you remember last year, South Carolina was terrible. Their mm-hmm. offense was awful. Spencer Rattler was awful. And then from the clouds, their defense wears wristbands one time all year. It's the game against Tennessee. And they hang 55 on what was the the, the the third-ranked team in the country after the Alabama win, and ended their season. They couldn't go to the playoff. Like if That's where this crosses the line into what should happen at Michigan, because if that part's true, I think anything is on the table. Whatever punishment you want to go with, you start messing with other people's games and trying to manipulate playoff berths, you've really crossed the Rubicon in terms of cheating. At that point, I'm cool with whatever the NCAA wants to do to them. That's a level that goes beyond just, like, taking signs from Ohio State. Which, by the way, there's also the talk. I I need to know what you think about this, Tyler. There's the talk about, uh, oh, well, teams just switch their signs up. They'll change up the signs and do different things. And so you're not really gaining an advantage. But when you send this guy, Stallions, who was apparently at some of the games himself, and he's sending scouts to see Ohio State in person nine times, I was talking to a buddy about this at the wedding I was at last night. No wonder every first half Michigan looks like a regular football team, and then they go to halftime, and Stallions is in there with the coordinators going, hey, we figured out what patterns they're using today, and they come out of halftime, Mm -hmm. and every second half is a bloodletting. Like, think about the Michigan State game. You go out very end of the game. You cover the second half with a touchdown seven seconds left. Or the Rutgers game goes into halftime 14-7. You end up winning... I think the second half was 28 nothing. They've covered every second half spread for like two years. Either they're the greatest halftime adjustment team in the history of football to the point that not even Las Vegas odds makers can get a grip on it, or they have information. I, I think that, and, and yeah, and you brought a point 
earlier in the week, too, about the first 15s for some of these other teams that Michigan goes up against. They're pretty successful. And not to say that first fifth, like first 15s are designed to be pretty successful, but a lot of that means you don't have the, the same type of signage that is funneling into the quarterback, too. And some of it is just, you know, the first 15 game script that's going on. Right. That's like the opening drive in a lot of these games is going to be a scripted drive, right? You're, you know what you're going to do. You probably don't need to get a ton of signals. You probably don't need to go to the sideline a bunch. You kind of have an idea of what plays are coming. And Michigan hasn't gotten a grip on what patterns or signs you're using yet. Those first drives have been successful. You think about mm-hmm. Rutgers, the long touchdown, Gavin Wimsett, go up 7 nothing. Indiana, I believe, scored on yeah. their opening drive. Even Minnesota, some of the non-con games, too. Uh, Minnesota scored on the opening drive. I think UNLV did. It, it, the first halves, Michigan looks vulnerable, looks in, often down early to a lot of these teams like they were with Indiana and Rutgers. And then the second half, they just sledgehammer. And it's either they're the greatest halftime adjustment team of all time and not even the sports books can get a grip on how good they are or they have info. Like that's the thing that, that really stands out to me. And this is not fact. This is just kind of conjecture. When when Vegas and the sports books can't get a grip on a number, they can't make a number big enough for something, I feel like something's up. And when you start to piss those people off, well, hell's coming to breakfast. So, dude, what do you think should happen? So uh, I think it all surrounds the question of, all right, if no more news breaks, if what we have known so far, let's say, is true, and it is uncovered that it's true, and no more news breaks between now and whenever a decision is handed down, whether it's by the conference or the Big Ten. I do think we'd get a Big Ten ruling more so than an NCAA ruling, just because I agree. It, it drag the, the NCAA drags their feet. Although they do seem to be moving decently quickly. Yeah, with they this. just spent a week I on mean, campus. Yeah, so it, maybe this is the one that kind of turns the tides there. But let's say, and I guess Mark Emmert's not the one in, in spearheading all of this anymore either. But let's say. Everything we know so far comes to be true. I I think that we don't see them in the Big Ten Championship. I I think we've seen it before where the Big Ten has bent rules to try. And and some people say, oh, well, follow the money, right? Well, guess what? Guess who's in second place, right? Or would be in second place? Ohio State. They'll draw the same amount as Michigan. All right. So it's not a it's not a deal of money for me. I don't think that's a part of this equation because it's going to come down to Michigan or Ohio State. And right, that's 1A, 1B in terms of revenue drivers and needle movers in the Big Ten. And by the way, it's the same thing with the College Football Playoff Committee, who are also not bound to the NCAA. People go, oh, well, they would never keep Michigan out. The TV draw, it's too much money for them. Uh, do you think Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Florida State aren't drawing TV? Like, if you get Oregon in, is, are they not a TV draw? I'm not telling you they're Michigan, but... You have five versions of the Yankees. This isn't Major League Baseball where there's two teams that'll rate. Everybody else is going to hurt the TV dollars. In college football, you've got five or six programs that are the Yankees. Mm -hmm. You're going to be fine. Yes. I I don't think that's going to be an issue there. But I I do think that we could see something come down from the Big Ten because you're messing with the integrity of the game. And that's one thing that the Big Ten has alluded to is that you cannot mess with the integrity of the game, and that's exactly what is happening. Yeah, it, It's just going to come down to how long does the investigation get dragged out. That's well, what Tyler, it's going to come down to for me. 
The other thing, too, they have a new commissioner. Like, we know Kevin mm-hmm. Warren went to the Bears. You've got this new guy, Tony Petiti, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this a moment from where MLB, he, yeah. Like, first year commissioning the Big Ten, is this a moment where you want to flex your muscles and show your teeth a little bit? Because this is a huge scandal to have play out when you've just taken the job. Like, that, that could play a factor here as well. Yeah. All right. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. What do you see happening to Michigan if there's no more news that breaks, but all the allegations that have come forth end up being true? What do you think is going to happen to them? Three one two three three two three seven seven six. We'll take all your phone calls and get into previews for the biggest games on the slate today, including a couple good ones in the SEC and the Pac-12. We'll do all that when we come back here on Chicago's College Tailgate, presented by Twin Peaks. Shay and Tyler. Tyler. Chicago's college tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's college tailgate. Now back to the show with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. to Jacksonville Shea, where we've got the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, Georgia, Florida, taking place today, 2.30 on CBS. And this is a game that got a lot more interesting now because of some injury news. And that is, of course, this is the first game that Georgia will be without Brock Bowers. And that certainly puts a lot of radars up. When you look into what Georgia likes to do, who who the safety net has been for Carson Beck all season long. And listen, Florida hasn't been great this year, but they've certainly overachieved, especially in the Graham Mertz department this year. Maybe the biggest surprise, most welcome surprise in all of college football is that Graham Mertz looks like a competent quarterback for the Gators this year. And Wisconsin may be wishing that they still had him up in Madison, especially for today when they go up against Ohio State later on this afternoon. But looking at what you see in Georgia and Florida, this line has fluctuated between 14, 14 and a half. Those are pretty important numbers when it does come to gambling here. But neutral site game, Georgia's first game without Brock Bowers. What do you see here? Well, you lose Brock Bowers, but you also... Lad McConkey's healthy for basically the first time all season. He's battled a back injury. Feels like he's going to be full go today in Jacksonville. I'm interested to see what Florida looks like or what Georgia looks like. Carson Beck, I think, is starting to turn a corner a little bit. He's played better lately. The Kentucky game really stands out. Defensively, I don't know what's been going on. Outside of the Kentucky game, they've been giving up points like 20 to Vanderbilt last time. They're off a bye here. So I'm just interested to see what happened over the bye week. Georgia's looked kind of flat most of this season. Mm -hmm. Really, the Kentucky game's the one anomaly where they showed up and blasted a ranked opponent. This game, always the rivalry, the neutral site aspect of it, feels a little more important. Does Georgia get up for this game in a way they haven't for others this season? Could happen. Uh, But Florida, I mean, you talked about Graham Mertz. Tyler, he's been the best transfer quarterback in the country. For a guy who transferred outside of Shadur Sanders, Mm -hmm. who's kind of a different deal, for a guy who entered the portal Mm -hmm. last summer and 
is on a new team, Graham Mertz has been the best of that group, yeah. and that's a huge surprise. We both thought offseason Wisconsin would get the better. Tanner Mordecai goes up to uh, Madison. We thought that'd be great. Tanner Mordecai, when he was healthy, wasn't great. Now he's hurt and he's not playing. Uh, Graham Mertz has been awesome for Florida. They haven't been a great team, but they've definitely overachieved at 5-2. and two. I think their win total preseason was something like 4.5. This Florida team has impressed, and, dude, I'm into it. Like, Not that I'm predicting I don't know it. that they can win today, yeah. but I'm kind of into what they're doing there. Billy Napier, I thought, was terrible. I'm, he's starting to show me some things that work. Not, not that I am predicting it, but if Florida wins today, they have the inside track on the SEC East. And, again, it's a big number. It's a tall task, even without Brock Bowers on the other side, but... There's some little things that Florida can do against this Georgia team. And I think it's a very interesting matchup because Florida's bread and butter defensively has been their ability to stop the run. Yeah. And this is a game where Carson Beck's going to have to make some plays. And this Florida defense, passing-wise, is vulnerable. But can Carson Beck make the plays without Brock Bowers there? And how, like you brought up Lad McConkey being a healthy factor in this game too but how good is lad without the presence of brock bowers kind of hovering over the middle of the field there because you're losing a huge presence up the seams middle of the field and that's where georgia's had their most success passing the football this year i mean tyler there's a chance that when brock bowers was healthy he was playing better than marvin harrison like he might say he is probably the the most talented offensive player outside of quarterbacks in the country right now, and you're taking that away from an inexperienced yep. offense. Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how that side of it plays out. The other side that I'm really interested, like Ricky Pearsall for Florida, if you haven't heard of him, mm-hmm. you should watch this game today because he might be a bear. Like Ricky Pearsall has been an outstanding wide receiver. Has for one of Florida the catches of the year. Yeah, the one-hander getting hit in the back just traps the ball. He's been amazing for that team. Uh, He's somebody I want to watch, and I want to see what he can do. Can he cause some havoc in Georgia's secondary? That's going to be interesting to me. Like, I don't don't know that Florida can hang in this game. We'll get to it in the picks, but it it reminds me a bit of that Kentucky game where the books hang out a a 14-and-a-half early in the week, and it feels like everybody's – bouncing onto Florida, mm-hmm. I always kind of want to look the other way. Like when, when you're getting the, the number one team in the country and they're not public, that's yeah. always a spot where I'm going to go, let's get involved. So I don't know that Florida really has a chance today, but I'm really interested to see what Georgia looks like with all the injuries that are mounting. We will. I will say that like the one time we've asked Georgia to get up this year was against Kentucky, and they did it. Like. Sure, they've been sleepy all year long, but they've hung on to win. And I think in the, the like a game against South Carolina where you're losing in the first half by double digits, I don't know how much stock I'm really going to put into that. To me, when you're the number one team in the country, sure, you, you get put on a different pedestal, and maybe I expect you to blow out a team like South Carolina or Auburn or maybe do a little bit more against Vandy. But... To me, that just kind of takes them down from 
my view of them as the number one team in the country when there are some other really good teams in college football right now. I don't think Georgia's the number one team in the country, but I still think this is a game where they can handle Florida. You know what? It's interesting, and I want to talk to you about this, is the SEC standings. You brought up Florida, if they win today, gets involved as the inside track team in the East. They'll have the tiebreaker uh, over Georgia. They'd have a chance to win that division. What about Mizzou? If yeah. Georgia drops a game here, Mizzou's putting together a really nice year. 7-1, and 3-1 and one SEC. Their life in the East is in front of them. They'll play all the games. They go to mm-hmm. Georgia in a week on the 4th. Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas to wrap up the season. Could Tennessee be like a legitimate factor to win the SEC? Are you saying Mizzou? Or Mizzou, yeah, excuse me. To win the SEC... Hmm. That that's t- I I just can't see Mizzou going Georgia then Florida right now, especially the way that the that both of these teams are playing right right now. I I don't I think they're going to be entertaining games at a minimum right now with Mizzou. I just I'm I'm not there yet with them. We we've seen what they look like in some of these shootouts too. Like they look good, but I want to see like they had the game against LSU right yeah, where they the lose, LSU game stands and that out. was a back and forth game. That was a really fun game to watch. Ten points isn't the real point differential of that game because there was a, a pick no, six on the final possession there. You remember Brady Cook had the ball in his hand, the Mizzou quarterback mm-hmm. with a chance to win that game, yep. go down the field. They led most of that game. They're the second highest scoring offense in the SEC behind LSU. They've played a bonus game, so maybe you don't take a lot into that. Like, Georgia's only played seven, Mizzou's played eight. But, I, I, dude, I look at Mizzou and I start to wonder if Florida can do their dirty work a little bit this week with Georgia. Does Mizzou become interesting? Okay, in, if Florida helps them out a little bit, I think you've got an interesting conversation there. Because then maybe that, I don't know, man, that might actually make it worse. I don't know that you want to go to Athens and face Georgia off a loss. Maybe you need Georgia to bomb Florida today, and then you go to Athens next week and get Georgia high and mighty. That might be the better spot to get them. The other thing, too, Tyler, on the other side, Both LSU and Ole Miss are still in this. I know Bama's doing what we thought Bama would do. Ole Miss needs a lot of help because they have the loss to Bama. Mm -hmm. But, like, LSU and Alabama, I believe both on buys this week and play each other next weekend. Mm -hmm. That becomes one of the games of the year. Mm -hmm. And LSU has the loss to Ole Miss as well. So, I mean, this thing could round-robin itself out, and we have a really yeah. interesting close in the SEC West. It becomes the Big Ten. Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, and, and the you SEC know what? West. For as much as we've written off the SEC this year, and as much as we have discredited teams like Alabama and, and a two-loss LSU team, like this has been a sneaky, fun SEC West this year when you look at those top three teams. Alabama ha- it hasn't been pretty all the time, but They've done what we've asked them to. Their lone loss came against Texas, who is a, a pretty good team as we've seen so far this year. Um, LSU, I mean, they're the most explosive offense in the country. They've got maybe the best connection wide receiver to, to quarterback that we've seen in all of college football this year with Jaden Daniels tossing the ball to Malik Neighbors. And then Ole Miss, they're good for a, a, a shootout as well. So I'm going to be really like the SEC has been down this year. But I can't wait for the SEC championship because I think we're yeah. going to get a good game no matter what. I agree. I think there's a good chance we get a shootout, especially if LSU gets there. We know that they can score and we know that they can't defend. I want to see 
LSU in like just purely from an entertainment standpoint. I want to see LSU in the SEC title game. I do. This too. Alabama team looks like they're rounding into form. The de- the defense is awesome for Alabama, which is a surprise to me. The offense is such a chore to watch, Tyler. I, I can't watch Jalen Milrow and that offensive line in an SS, SEC title game. I just don't want it. And then imagine how great this SEC West would be if Jimbo Fisher weren't a total fraud. <laughs> if Jimbo Fisher weren't a total fraud, we'd have a four-horse race in the SEC West right now. But instead, it was taken from us. Yeah. You know, the, the whole division is actually pretty interesting. Like... Arkansas is one of those teams that can play spoiler to someone. They've played in some close games against some of these top teams. All they do is play close games. And they played Bama within a field goal. They, they played, played LSU or it, in a, the, within a field goal, too. The A&M game, 12 points, but that game was closer at time. Like, Mississippi State's a rough loss. And then, 7-3 final. I mean, that's brutal. Yeah, and then Auburn... I mean, they almost have the win of the year. They they took Georgia down to the wire. That was a, yeah. a touchdown game and a game that Auburn was up double digits at one point. So, like, part of that is what we've talked about, though. That this SEC just it, it's the worst SEC I can remember watching in my lifetime. But it's becoming fun in spite of it being bad. Yes, totally agree with you there. All right, when we come back, we will get into a few of the other matchups, including the Oregon-Utah game taking place out in the mountains. We'll do that when we return here. Chicago's College Tailgate presented by Twin Peaks. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Now back to the show. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. College football with you here on ESPN 1000, Chicago's College Tailgate, Tyler Rocky and Shane Norling with you every single Saturday, 9 to 11 a.m. right here on ESPN 1000. You want to join us, 312-332-3776. Dan's in the Grange. What's up, Dan? Yeah, how you doing? Good, how are you? Doing good. Yeah, I'd like to talk about uh, Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan mm-hmm. scandal. And, you know... It's really bad because, you know, Jim Harbaugh is not bigger than Michigan. And Michigan just does not need this type of exposure. And so you got a guy like Jim Harbaugh, you know, he's a great family guy and everything, but he puts himself on a pedestal. He makes millions of dollars. And I believe these players are exploited for for his own gratitude. And... Now, you can also take a look at Jim Harbaugh was in the NFL. I mean, who goes from an NFL head coach, one of the most prestigious franchises in the 49ers, and backslides and goes back to Michigan? To me, that that's, uh, it shows lack of confidence. And, and it's... If I was Michigan, I, I, I'm afraid I'd have to terminate them immediately. And what do you think about that? Yeah, thanks for the call there, Dan. Here's what I'll say. It's not like he just went back to college. He went back to Michigan, his alma mater. I think that means something for people in certain situations. Maybe the right uh, right place at the right time was the fact that the Michigan job was open and Jim Harbaugh was available. The Michigan job 
when things are rolling right, doesn't become open very often. And this was probably a once-in-a-lifetime deal for Jim Harbaugh. I don't think he necessarily... You could look at, oh, NFL back to colleges. Okay, sure. It's not the highest level of football. All right, I'll grant you that. But I think for Jim Harbaugh personally, I think going from to go to any other NFL job versus Michigan, I don't think that's a downgrade necessarily in job. I think for him personally, it's it's exactly what he wanted. Michigan, like, Michigan's one of those jobs. Michigan, Texas, maybe USC, maybe Alabama – there are very few NFL jobs that are better than those gigs. Like, Michigan is one of those jobs. You also have to remember how he left San Francisco. I don't agree that there was some issue with his confidence. The team went 8-8. Eight and eight. Harbaugh had been in a power struggle, basically, with Trent Baalke because Harbaugh wanted full autonomy of the 49ers. 49ers were never going to give that to them, so they split up. Do you know where you can get full autonomy of a team? College football. Yeah. Oh, like, and by the way, you get paid a lot more money, too. Yes. Well, until you get your pay cut because you were doing <laughs> but even still, like he, he had a five-year, $25 million deal with the Niners. And in, in college, his, his range in salary has been, for the most part, between 7 and $10 million a year. Like, I'm, I will never say Harbaugh has a lacking confidence. He no. seems like a pretty uh, big egoist, I'll say. I'll be, I'll be nice. Um, the thing I think Dan got right he, when he said Harbaugh is not bigger than Michigan, that is true. And there are people at Michigan who are boosters, donors, power brokers, however you want to cut it, that view the reputation of the school and of the Block M and of the brand as being more important than winning football games. And I think if there's anything that could hurt Harbaugh at Michigan, it's whether you knew or not, the NCAA bylaws say you get punished. You've got the coach who you have a statue of, despite reasons maybe you shouldn't have a statue of him, Bo Schembechler, who famously said, if you know, if you don't know what's going on, then you're too stupid to know. And if you're too stupid, why do you have the job? Like, there is no excuse at Michigan for not knowing that this sign-stealing thing was happening. It all falls at Harbaugh's feet. And there are power brokers at the school who will say, you've damaged the reputation of our brand mm-hmm. at the cost of winning football games. We care more about the rep. That's enough. That'll yeah. be all. And the, Michigan's one of those institutions, you know, they're going to puff their chest out and hop on their high horses, and that's just kind of how they operate. So, all right, let's get into the game of the day, in my opinion, out in, in the Pac-12, and that is between Oregon and Utah. Number 8, Oregon, traveling to Rice Eccles, number 13, Utah, for this game. And this is, I think, preseason, one of the most anticipated matchups within the conference, and a conference that has had a lot of intrigue and a lot of high-profile matchups so far. But I also think that this game, I don't know, something just feels kind of off with it. And maybe it's the fact that we know now that there's no more Cam Rising intrigue because he is going to take the medical redshirt this year and sit the year out. But I, I don't. the the line is 6.5 on this game. I really think this is a game that Oregon can just kind of blow the doors off of Utah. Yeah, Oregon has, like, one of the most prolific offenses in the country, Oregon, USC, Washington, just score a ton of points. Oregon does something 
that Washington and USC don't necessarily do, which is play extremely high-level defense. Mm-hmm. I always get worried, Tyler, when you got to go on the road to Salt Lake, Rice Eccles at night, Utah, Kyle Whittingham on the other side. They'll line up. They'll stuff the run. I always get a little nervous, but this does feel lopsided. And you talk about a six-and-a-half-point spread in a top-25 game at Rice Eccles in Salt Lake, you almost never see that. Mm-hmm. Like last year when USC went there, it was, I think, two and a half to USC. It might have been two and a half to Utah. Either way, it was inside a field goal. You don't ever see Utah as a home dog like this when they're ranked. It's There is something that's off. I think the, the books are telling you they don't believe in Bryson Barnes. But also, everybody's been on Oregon all week. And that number's just stuck at six and a half, which always adds a little intrigue. Why mm-hmm. won't it go to seven? Everybody wants uh, Oregon. Why isn't the number going to seven? Yeah, it's certainly interesting here. But, like, you look across the board, every metric, Oregon is top ten. You know what I, I yeah, see this game awesome. sort of playing out like? I do see it sort of playing out like the game that we saw Utah in earlier this year against Oregon State. But I think Oregon can put a few more points on the board. Utah loses to Oregon State 21 to 7. I don't see how Utah scoring much more than 14 points in this game. You do you feel like Utah is going to get blown out? Is that where you're I, at? I do. Like I I just think back to all right, Oregon's already have had that big road test, that hostile environment when they went to Washington earlier this year. This isn't going to be some sort of revelation to them. I think Dan Lanning gets his guys up for games like this where maybe people are talking down on Oregon a little bit. I think he's someone who knows how to manufacture a little bit of us-against-the-world mentality within that locker room. I, we saw it earlier this year. I think he had a master class of it in the Colorado game. But I, I just I don't see a world where Utah can keep this within two touchdowns. Uh, that we'll get to it in the picks. I kind of I I lean a little bit differently than you about this game. I feel like it's going to be a close one because Utah Kyle Whittingham always seem to play close games. I'm with you on Dan Lanning as a motivator, though. I mean that guy, he's the Dan Campbell of the NFL. Maybe he, yeah, like he's a in a comp. locker room getting guys ready to go. The halftime speeches have been electrifying. The other thing about this game too, Tyler, is basically this has become. The Pac-12 has become so interesting because every week you have a new most important game of the season. And this week, this is the most important game of the season. The winner of this game gets that inside track to go to Las Vegas and play in the Pac-12 title game. And then Oregon will play USC, and the winner of that game will get, like, or Utah will play whoever. Utah has a harder time because they lost to Oregon State, but they beat USC. So the Pac-12's playing out kind of as that funky round robin a little bit too. And I'm feeling less sure that they're going to cannibalize themselves because the top teams in this conference are still so good. Yes, I I think that the resume, when we get to the end of the season, everything's going to sort of stack up and I think is going to be in a nice little spot there. Here's about one problem is that this Utah defense has thrived off of turnovers this year. Seven interceptions. They've also recovered four fumbles as well. Watch out, Robo Nicks. That that is a true factor here, but like he's been really good at taking care of the ball and he's been really good on the road this year yeah. as well. Like he played as well as you could have asked him to in that Washington game. It's not his fault that there was a missed forty three yarder at the end of the game. He brought his team back and gave them a lead in the fourth quarter. I 
I think the road bow Knicks narrative is lost at this point. And I'm happy for him, too, because he's played a damn good season of football. Dude, he's been awesome. And I keep thinking about that fourth quarter, man. If they hit the kick and they win in overtime, Bo Nix is far and away the Heisman favorite today. Yeah, That fourth quarter, like going into their final drive after uh, the, the fourth down where they didn't get it and then Washington went, going into that drive, I think he had one incompletion in the half. Yeah. Or in the quarter. Like that. He was outstanding, hostile environment, on the road, fourth quarter. He's already done it. So if that factors into the way you're looking at Utah, you got to get behind Oregon. Yeah. All right, last game I want to quickly preview here, and that is number 20 Duke on the road at number 18 Louisville. By the way, the doctor's off today. Dr. Pottinger is out of the office today. Um, he is, he's actually down at Kansas um, getting ready for a big Kansas yeah. OU game today. It sounds like he needs a doctor. He, yeah, we got an I need an IV text from him this morning he which, was partying a little too hard to be honest night. we got 7 30 a.m text from justin so at least we know he's alive down there um anyway you look at this game here and I, you're seeing the reports now that riley leonard is a game time decision to play today however there is optimism for him and that last week when he re-injured his high right ankle sprain the it's not considered a significant setback for today we did not see him in the fourth quarter in last week's loss against florida state but I do think that things are trending towards Riley Leonard is going to play today. And I think that significantly helps Duke's chances, especially when you're looking at a team that's a six-and-a-half-point underdog right now. But if Riley, if we're going to see the same thing we saw last week where he's going to go out there for three quarters, but he can't finish a game, then I think Louisville is going to be the team that comes out on top. I think that's why you're seeing the spread move the way that it has, right? Like, Duke was a four-point dog at some points throughout the week, out to six, six-and-a-half as of this morning. Last night there was reporting from, like, Kentucky newspapers. Riley Leonard could miss the game, listed game-time decision. Now this morning there's optimism Riley Leonard's going to play. But, dude, you hit the nail on the head because that Florida State game, Duke, is all over the uh, Florida State. Feels like they can win the game. And then you have to sideline Riley Leonard and go to a true freshman on the road at night at Florida State, and things just get away from you. Now you're going to go against Louisville, and it's not quite as hostile an environment. But if you have to lose Riley Leonard in this game, and you've got to go to a true freshman quarterback on the road again, like it just, it's a tough spot for Duke. Yeah. And the other side of this, too, here, Louisville, Jawar Jordan, who is one of the leading rushers in the ACC, he is expected to be back. And he's been fantastic for yeah. them this year. That's a guy who has big play potential. And I think against a team like Duke, who's so good defensively, if you can just hit on a couple of those home runs, sprinkle them throughout the game, those can be the difference in the game there. Louisville's one of those teams this year that, like, we talked about they could be good. I didn't think that they could be this good. Six and one, they have still a mathematical chance to win the ACC. This is nothing that I would have expected from this team, but it's been fun to watch. Like, if you've watched Louisville football at all this year, they're an entertaining product. Mm -hmm. I enjoy watching them, and I know they had the ugly loss to Pitt. That felt like if I saw it coming a mile away. Tyler, I think you felt the same. Yeah was you beat number 10 Notre Dame, one of the biggest wins this school's had in years in the football program. Then you've got to go on the road. You can't get up for it. Now you get the bye week. You get ranked Duke in your house. I think it's a really fascinating watch tonight. All right, when we come back, Shea had a Friday wedding, and it's set up perfectly for him. We'll discuss next.
Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all. Now back to the show with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's College Tailgate presented by Twin Peaks. Talking college football with you, 9 to 11 a.m. every single Saturday. Shay, you are away today. You're up in the great state of Michigan. Yep. Lower thumb of the Michigan, of the mitten. Well, the metro Detroit area. I'm not really on the thumb at all. I'm below the thumb. So you're in the palm. Uh, but on the like furthest, uh, as far right on your hand as you can go, yeah. Okay, so like the the little joint below the thumb. Yep. That's where you're at right there? Yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, so... You're in Michigan. You're out at a wedding. It was a Friday wedding, which was something that you thought you were going to despise. But are you changing your tune at all? I'm tipping, I used to be anti-Friday wedding because of the work factor. Like, I had to take the day off yesterday. I, living in Chicago and having to come to Detroit, I had to wake up 6 a.m., get in the car, speed race my way here so that I'd have time to, like, get everything set up and get ready. And then we had to leave at 3.30. So it was quick and i have to tell you it was great it was phenomenal there's something that there's aspects of this that i'd never thought about one fall wedding on a friday means i don't miss any of the football yeah and there was no good college football last night i think there was one game and i don't even know who played it was like florida atlantic yeah it was it was garbage it was like truly a garbage garbage football game didn't mind missing it uh Today, now, I have my entire day to myself to do what I want to do. Going to go see some family. Going to watch football all day. Have no commitments really tonight that are going to take me out of doing that either. And you have the rest of your weekend after the wedding. Like, I'll be honest. I'm nursing a hangover this morning. I got into it. I was having a good time. But you're working Eastern time, so you got that extra hour of sleep today. Right, and I don't need the I don't need the uh, Sunday refresh hangover day where you just sit on the couch and do nothing on a travel day. I'm going to be fine. I won't have that tomorrow. So the Friday wedding for me worked gangbusters. I'm all in on it. I think there's a little bit of. Uh, it's a little disrespectful maybe to the guests to do the Friday wedding because people have to figure out their work situation, maybe take a half day, have to haul ass potentially if they work an entire day to get to the ceremony. But I don't think it ends up being that bad. And I think the payoff you get if the rest of your weekend is yours is incredible. Incredible. I was a big fan of the Friday wedding. Uh, I have to ask you something. Mm-hmm. I think this is at minimum a 15-yard penalty. Oh, okay. I, I'm intrigued. At this wedding last night, I could not believe this. I could not believe this, Tyler. At this wedding last night, the father of the groom is giving a speech. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the speech, he looks around the room and he announces that it's his brother's birthday. And he asks if everyone in the room will sing happy birthday to his brother. His brother ain't getting married. Like... I, dude, I'm sitting at the table, and we all start singing happy birthday, and all I can think is, this is offsides as bleep. Ooh, I, this may Your be, uh... speech needs to be about the two people getting married. You cannot include a happy birthday sing-along for your brother. We may be going under the hood for targeting here, like it, with grounds for ejection. 
at this point. Like, I'm thinking it's one thing if it's like the mother of the bride, right? That the, it just so happens it's nope. on the birthday. I think it's a foul. A- any parent. But the brother of the the father of the bride, no. Uh-uh. No chance. That my, can't happen. My soon-to-be in-laws are getting married on my father-in-law's birthday next year. Mm-hmm. No chance that they are singing him happy birthday or having the entire room sing him. There's just no chance. Well, there's also nothing, too, that makes, for me personally, me more uncomfortable than a room singing happy birthday to me. It's the worst. Yeah, it's terrible. I I hate it. I hate it. I can't do it. Here's my take on the wedding happy birthday. The only person that can initiate it is either the bride or the groom themselves. If they make the decision... If they give a speech and they make the decision to take time away from their night for somebody else, I'm good with it. If you're anybody else in that room, your responsibility is to congratulate the couple and get the F out. Mm-hmm. You can't do happy birthday for your brother. Yeah. It was nuts. Yeah, that that is so far. Like The uncle happy birthday there is, is so far out of the realms of realistic. That, that for me, I'm with you. That is... A 15-yard penalty, and we're going to review it for targeting. Grounds for ejection coming the other way. Uh, getting tossed. Can you imagine the father of the groom? Get out. That's enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're done for the night. Can you imagine? But brother gets to stay because, I mean. Well, yeah, it's not his yeah, fault. Right, it's not his fault. He, he, just, uh, he just caught a ricochet here. He got Yeah, he caught a stray. It's not his fault it's his birthday, but don't you can't sing happy birthday for somebody at someone else's wedding. You can't do it. It was nuts. I was making eye contact with everybody in the room. My wife was in the stood up in the wedding. I'm looking over at her. She's looking at me going, what the hell are we doing? What was it the, was unbelievable. Was it a half-hearted sing or was it a, everyone was full go? The start of it was half-hearted, a little confused. Are we really doing this? Like, you know, when everybody's not sure if they're supposed to sing, yeah. and then a few people started. You're not sure if then, it's a joke or not. Right, and then everybody joined in. So, like, it starts... Happy and like a couple people then really get into it and then the whole room does it and I was sitting there I ref- I refused to sing in protest I refused to sing Happy Did people birthday. stand I couldn't believe this uh, no so they did this thing for the entries they gave everybody has their white napkin obviously and they wanted us to take the napkins and twirl them in the air like a football game or like a playoff baseball like a whiteout yeah <laughs> yes. what are we in happy we, valley all of a we sudden? had the we had the penn state whiteout going on for the wedding entries and so after happy birthday a few people stood up and twirled their towels i couldn't believe it i'm like what are we doing here yeah. this is out of control that is ridiculous. Unbelievable. Uh, other than that, it was a beautiful wedding. Congratulations to the couple. I just, boy. Congrats I was to bes- the couple, but Dad, get the F out I of here. I was beside myself All right. at singing happy birthday for the uncle. When we come back, first batch of college football playoff rankings come out this Tuesday. We will discuss that and what would be the most entertaining set of four for the upcoming playoff. All that and more in two minutes here on Chicago's College Tailgate. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago.